You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Well, hey guys, hope that you are doing good this week. We are in part number five of our series entitled The Church Lessons from the Book of Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts and uh, originally we were going to do a five-part series, so this would have been the last last uh, week, but we we just decided this was not going to be enough time. So we, we're adding two more on to the back end of this. Um, so we are going to be in Acts chapter 9 this week. Last week, uh, we talked about this incredible interaction between the disciple Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And just this amazing interaction that happens between them. Philip leads him to the Lord. He gets baptized right away. Uh, we didn't talk about this a ton last week, but the the national religion in Ethiopia less than 300 years later becomes Christianity. And so it's widely believed that this is one of the first con- Gentile converts to the, to the way, to the people who follow Jesus, this Ethiopian who has this position of power in the queen's court takes Christianity back to Ethiopia. And less than three centuries later, the entire nation uh, is following Jesus. So this is just an incredible reminder that, that one simple interaction can change Everything we also talked about the fact that we belong before we believe that we are people who don't need to have uh, an attitude adjustment. We are not people who need to have uh, a behavioral modification before Jesus accepts us. That we belong to Jesus's family before we believe, and that as followers of Jesus, that we need to make others feel that way too. That we we don't make people pass a test before they join our, our friend groups. That we don't make people t- pass a test before they join the family of God. But we just say, hey, how can we serve you? Come on in. This week, uh, we're going to be looking at one of the most probably important moments in church history, and that is the conversion of Saul to Paul. The conversion of Saul, who is persecuting the church, who ends up being the Apostle Paul, who ends up being one of the most influential people in human history. But before we jump into that passage, I, I want to set a little bit of a background for Saul or Paul. Um, I'll, I'll probably say both names uh, this whole time last night uh, as I preached this at College Age Movement. It uh, definitely went back and forth, so forgive me for, for going back and forth. But if I say Saul or Paul, if you're not familiar, it's the same person. Uh, Paul was from a town called Tarsus in uh, Cilicia. This meant that he was Jewish and he was a Roman citizen. So he had a really unique position for anyone in that day and time. It meant that he was educated in Tarsus, uh, well-educated in many things, but he was also a very well-educated Jewish man. He calls himself a Pharisee. And on this end of the story, we look at Pharisees and we think of a bunch of religious hypocrites and we think about um, essentially the bad guys in the Jesus story. But we have to understand that what it really meant was a devout Jew. The The actual definition would be this, a member of a Jewish sect of the intertestamental period noted for strict observance of rites and ceremonies of the written law, that being the Old Testament, and for instance on the and for insistence on the validity of their own oral traditions concerning the law. So they, they memorized so much of the Old Testament. They, they memorized the Torah. They could could recite it to one another. So so what this really means is Paul's a really brilliant, really dedicated Jewish man. This is essentially the baseline of everything that we need to know. He rose through the ranks of the Pharisees. He ended up being very uh, well thought of, even amongst his peers. He had positions of authority, and he hated the way. He hated the church that was following Jesus, not because he was necessarily a bad human being, but because he hated the fact that Jesus threatened what he loved. 
that the movement of Jesus threatened his Jewish faith, or so he thought, because they didn't fully believe that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah that they were waiting for. And so Paul ends up doing really terrible things. He, he imprisons people for following Jesus. He ends up uh, having people killed for, for hypocrisy, for all of these different things that, that he believed was the right thing to do. In fact, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, this is after um, the, the religious people of the time, the Jewish people, end up stoning the disciple Stephen, who becomes the first martyr for Jesus. And Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 say, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Paul began to destroy the church. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So that's our background of who Saul is at this moment. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The first point this week is divine intervention. We've probably all heard that term before, but this circumstance is such a, a perfect representation of Jesus stepping in to earth and flipping everything upside down. Not only is this interruption of Jesus going to change Paul's life, it's going to in turn save hundreds, if not thousands of lives at the, in, the, in the current era, people who are going to be killed or imprisoned because of their following Jesus. Paul was at the head of the, this persecution. But it also changes lives of literally millions, if not billions of people, because Paul ends up being probably the most influential person outside of Jesus in all of Christian history. He, I mean, he wrote 24% around a quarter of the New Testament. That's wild. That is absolutely crazy. He wrote a quarter of the New Testament, and it's really important that we understand this. That as Jesus was willing to step in and engage with the story of Paul, he is also willing to step in and engage with our story. I think it can be really easy for us to see God or see Jesus as disengaged and uninterested in our human plight, in the human story. But this is a perfect example of divine intervention. This is a perfect example of Jesus saying, no, I'm going to step in and I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of the solution. And he's going to flip everything right side up. Like this is, this is such an amazing moment. And I think it can be easy for you and I to look at this and be like, okay, well, this is like 2000 years ago. Jesus doesn't do that anymore, but Hebrews makes it really clear that we serve the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So what we need to understand is that Jesus still steps in and he still engages. It might look a little bit different. We might not meet Jesus on the road, but we might. If you talk to people all over the world, that there have been incredible interactions. So don't, don't just contrast your story or my story with Paul's story. Understand that Jesus is still stepping in and he's still engaging. We can't let our humanity convince us that God is unconcerned with what is happening. He is very much concerned with what is happening. In fact, he uses this phrase, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Now, remember, this is after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been buried, after he's raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. So, so why does, why does Jesus say, Saul, why do you persecute me? We see this interaction between Jesus and a group of people. And he says, uh, whenever, whenever you see someone who is poor and you clothe them, or whenever you see somebody who is hungry and you feed them, whenever you see an orphan or a widow, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So at the same time, he's saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? As he's telling people to love people, and if they love people, they are loving him. He's also saying, well, if you persecute people, you are also persecuting me. So what an incredible reminder that we're chosen. What an incredible reminder that we're beloved. We are people that Jesus considers to be his own flesh and blood. The creator considers us to be a valued part of him. It's also a challenge for us today to to ask ourselves the question, how are we treating Jesus? How are we treating his chosen and his beloved? Whether inside or outside of the church, like how are we treating the least of these? Are we loving people well? Or do we find ourselves persecuting? And it's probably not throwing them in prison, but but are, are, are we judging? Are, are we, we convicting? Are we being people who are looking at others like Jesus would look at people? I remember growing up in the church and, and I'd hear people say like, Jesus, help, help me see people like you see people. And I was like, man, that seems like such a, like a cheesy throwaway phrase, but what, what power it has, what, what significance it has if we were to actually look at people the way that Jesus looks at people, that we would actually step in and engage with them the way that Jesus would do it. That is what we have to ask ourselves, ourselves the question, how are we treating Jesus? How are we treating the people around us? And in turn, how are we treating Jesus? The story goes on to say in verses five through nine, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. You see, Jesus, accompanied by light, eventually cast Paul into utter darkness. Could it be that Jesus understood that for for Paul to appreciate the light, he would have to experience darkness? See, this isn't just about physical darkness. This was about recognizing the darkness that was present in his life. I'm sure there was a lot of introspection happening during these three days of utter darkness for Paul. He just interacted with Jesus. The the people that he was persecuting claimed that this was the Messiah himself. He just interacts with him on the road to Damascus. He he finds himself blind. I think 72 hours would be some good self-reflection time. You see, Jesus used darkness to bring light. For him to become who Jesus was calling calling him to be, he was going to have to understand the darkness of his current circumstance. He's going to have to understand the darkness of his current circumstance. Paul actually writes about this himself later in Romans. He pens this. He says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Your eyes are closed when you're sleeping, right? So slumber, darkness. Because of our salvation, it is nearer now than we have than we first believed. The night is nearly over. So we're talking darkness. The day is almost here. We're tar- talking light. So let us put aside the deeds of, here it is, darkness, and put on the armor 
of light. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, as in light, not carousing in drunkenness or sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. So the armor of light is Jesus. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh being darkness. You see, Paul understood that for for him to step into being a light bearer to the world, like Jesus was calling the disciples to be, he would have to step out of his old self. He would have to step out of his worldly desires and the things that were drawing him that way into the armor of light and clothing himself in Jesus. So it asks us the question, what do we need to put aside? What do we need to step out of? Most of us aren't killing or imprisoning people we disagree with. Hopefully, that's not how you handle those situations. But we all have issues, right? We all have baggage. We all have mess in our lives that Jesus is asking us to step out of, that, that we would put aside that which is darkness and put on the armor of light, that we would put on Jesus and say, hey, this is what I want, but this is what Jesus wants. I'm stepping out of my old self into my new self. It's vital that we do that. Secondly, it's it's really important that we point out that Jesus made Paul vulnerable. He made him in desperate need of others. He has to have other men bring him to Damascus. He, he has to have other men lead him because he's physically blind. He has to be dependent on other people. Jesus made Paul vulnerable to help him understand how weak he was and how strong Jesus would make him. For us, it's understand. It's for us to understand that we need to be vulnerable with one another, with Jesus, with with everybody around us. That, that our vulnerability will lead to our strength. And it, it it sounds counterintuitive that being vulnerable would lead to strength, but if you've experienced anything like big in your life, you'll understand that it's hard to do it alone. The best leaders don't accomplish anything on their own, and the best followers of Jesus don't accomplish what Jesus has called them to do on their own. It's only when we surround ourselves with other people who are running the same race. It's only when we say, hey, I love Jesus and this is what I'm in pursuit of. And other people are like, hey, that's awesome. We're in pursuit of the same thing. Let's go do that together. That's where incredible things happen. Jesus knew Paul to his core and he knew that for him to become strong, he had to be made weak and in need of others. And for so many of us, there have been times where Jesus said, I'm going to need to make you a little bit vulnerable so you understand your desperate need for others. Acts chapter 9 verses 10 through 16 goes on to say, In Damascus there is a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You've probably heard it said before, and we've talked about it here before, but faith over fear. Faith over fear, that we would be people who have faith over fear. And this is something that I, I think is worth reiterating. Faith is not the absence of fear. It is the obedience in midst, in the midst of it. Faith is not the absence of fear. It is obedience in the midst of it. Ananias knows Paul. He is scared of Paul. He has every reason to be scared of Paul. 
but he also understands that his commitment is to God, not to his fear. So here's the question. Are we committed to our fear or our father? Are we committed to our fear or our father? The reality is that we are going to come up against situations, people, and callings that cause fear, that cause trepidation within us. And if, we're, if we aren't careful, fear will paralyze us and keep us, step, keep us from stepping in to God's story. I think that I can make the case that, that if Ananias stepped away, if he ran away from the call of the Lord, that, that Jesus would have found someone else to go and, and put their hand on Paul and heal him. They, that he would have found somebody else to step into the story. But you see, Ananias doesn't do that. Ananias steps in and he says, yeah, I'm scared. I've heard reports. I know who this guy is. I know the danger that he, he represents. I, I'm going to be committed to the calling, not committed to my fear. I'm going to be committed to my father, not my fear. And because of that, we're talking about Ananias 2,000 years ago. And, and hear me, like I'm not saying like say yes to Jesus so 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years from now, people are talking about you. Like that'd be sweet if if your faith, if my faith was so profound and so impactful that people were telling stories about what was happening in our lives 2,000 years from now. That'd be that'd be amazing. But that's not why. This is why Ananias wanted to be faithful. This is why I want to be faithful is because when I get to stand before Jesus one day, I want him to say, hey. Like, thanks for stepping into the story. Thanks for being a part of what I called you to do. Thanks for being a part of the vision and the mission of Jesus. Look at all the people that you impacted because of when you said yes to me. I don't want to stand before Jesus and have him say, like, why'd you run? Why'd you hide? Why'd you sit on your faith and pretend like it was only yours? Are we committed to our fear or to our father? Then Jesus uses this phrase, chosen instrument. He is my chosen instrument. What a powerful statement. What, a, what an incredible reminder. It's important that we remember that Jesus was not just like chilling on the road to Damascus and he leans over to the angel Gabriel and he's like, all right, man, like I'm getting bored. Like the next guy to walk down this road, that's the guy I'm going to use. That's the guy I'm going to use to set so many things in motion. No, he met Paul exactly where he knew he was and he said, this is my chosen instrument. I know his gifts. I know his abilities. I know his capacities and I know what he is going to do and what he is capable to do capable of doing for the kingdom of God. I think that that can be said for each one of us as well, that Jesus has a specific purpose and a specific position for our lives. You and I were created with purpose. Jesus knows exactly how he wants to use each one of us. But maybe you're like me though, and uh, you, you said this as you read the story. Well, why can't Jesus show up and talk to me like he did Paul? Why can't he show up to me and, and, and just Tell me clearly what he wants me to do because I, I struggle so much with, with knowing what Jesus wants me to do. But we, what we have to understand is that Paul's story is unique to Paul, just like your story is unique to you, just like my story is unique to me. And, and if I want Paul's story and Paul's placement, I would have to be willing to, to accept the fact that Jesus says, hey, Ananias, I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. You see, I want Paul's story until I remember the imprisonment imprisonment. I want Paul's story until I remember the beatings within an inch of his life. I want Paul's story until I think about the persecution he's faced. See, maybe, 
just maybe we should ask, I should ask Jesus just to, to bring to life the narrative that is intended for my own life. Maybe you need to ask Jesus just to bring about the narrative that is intended for your own life. When we say, what do you need from me, Lord? Here I am. Here I am. Send me. You see, you and I are chosen just like Paul and simultaneously nothing like Paul. We have been purposed and positioned with intention. We need to be people who understand that our story is our story. Jesus wants to use us in a specific way because we are all his chosen instruments and he knows exactly where we will be most effective. Verses 17 through 18. It says, then Ananias went to the house, so he's obedient, even though he's fearful, and he enters it. Placing his hands on Saul, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. From foe to family from foe to family. The statement brother Saul is massive. Even through Ananias' hesitancy, he calls arguably the biggest enemy of the church brother. Right? Saul is Saul is persecuting the church like nobody else. The Roman government isn't even really concerned with the way. They think it's this fringe move, movement of religious people, and they just crucified their leader, and, and they've done this before. They, they're expecting it to dissolve and go away, but Paul is hot on their heels, and he is saying, like, no, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to imprison people. I'm going to kill people. I'm going to make sure that this thing gets squashed as soon as possible, and yet Ananias is calling him brother brother. Now, I, I pray that you don't have any enemies in your life, but I think there's a huge question that we have to ask. Who in our lives do we believe doesn't deserve the grace and love of Jesus? Or who, who in our lives do we believe is too far gone? Who, who are the people that we've written off even talking to about Jesus? Because as we look at Paul, this conversion story is pretty insane. Like He could not be further from Jesus. And then in an interaction, he is right next to Jesus in an interaction. He's following Jesus and he's being called brother Saul. I have a guy in my life who's my tattoo artist and he's a stud and I really have enjoyed getting to talk to him. We couldn't be probably further from each other when it comes to our religious beliefs. I being a pastor and he, his Instagram actually says no gods, no Kings. Like he just doesn't believe in that. And and that's fine. Like I'm not going to not go to the guy because we disagree, but uh, he's like, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And so it's been a really interesting interaction because I didn't really want to tell him that I want to be like, Oh no, I work for a nonprofit. Let's just, let's just like walk by this. But we've had five or six times together now. And, and it's always good conversation. This last time he even just goes, how's the Jesus business going? I'm like, ah, I don't know what the Jesus the Jesus business is, but but working at the church is going great. I love my job, and we just have these like fun interactions. And he's he's amazing at what he does, and he's brilliant. You can just tell he he is just he's like an academic, and uh, I've just had so much fun talking to him. And there have been times of uh, as I'm sitting in his chair and he's tattooing me, and I'm just like, man, this guy's so far from Jesus. Like, what would even be the point of even like breaching the subject? Then I look at the story of Paul, and I'm like, man, well, well, he's not he's not attacking people. He's not imprisoning people because of their beliefs. He just disagrees with them. 
I I don't see why Jesus couldn't meet him. And I'd, I, I would love to be a part of the story where he meets Jesus. I would love to be a part of the story where he, he starts getting plugged into a community of Christ followers and sees his life changed and sees his wife's life changed and his child's life changed. Like, I would love that. But what I understand is this, is the only thing that I can do is just be a little bit of Jesus every time I'm around him, to respect him, to, to talk to him with 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 honor and, and love and acceptance and grace and, and all of those things. And I don't want to be somebody who writes people like that off. I want to be people who sees them the way that Jesus sees them. So I don't know who it is in your life. It might be that friend who, who you think is too far gone. It might be a family member. It might be a coworker. Who knows? But don't look at people the way that we look at people. Look at the way look at people the way that Jesus looks at people and say, man, I, I think that they can meet Jesus. I don't know how they're gonna meet Jesus, but I can I can absolutely see a miraculous story happening in their lives. I think the second question would need to be this. If you're listening to this and and you've gotten this far and, and maybe you've been listening to the podcast or listening to podcasts, but you haven't found the courage to step into to the actual community of College Age Movement or Faith Chapel or a church in general or whatever it is, wherever you're at, do you believe that you're too far gone? Because I think I can confidently say you aren't Paul. I, I think I can confidently say that you haven't done the things that he did. And yet he becomes one of the most influential disciples of Jesus in human history. So what makes you think that God couldn't meet you right where you're at. Don't write yourself off. Understand that Jesus loves you today right where you're at and that he wants to have a conversation with you. This passage that we're looking at is going to wrap up. The last two verses says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Three days, and everything changes. Three days from his encounter to his evangelism. Three days from his hatred to his love. Three days from persecutor to pastor. Three days from blindness to real, true sight. I do not know what your timeline looks like when it comes to obedience, but I like to take my sweet time. Maybe the Paul, the Paul story is a really good reminder that the time is actually now. That maybe instead of trying to, to be obedient on our own time, we would just be obedient today and we'd say, here I am, Jesus, however you want to use me, however you want to spin my life upside down, I'm here. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.